0: When we think about the greatest NFL players that wore the jersey number 60, there's a lot of forgotten players there. Well, we have a specialist in Sports Forgotten Heroes host, Warren Rogan's going to help us remember them, jersey number 60s, and we'll come up with a top 10 coming up in a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the universities of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we are podcasting from America's North Shore, bringing you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So in taking the snap from the SportsHistoryNetwork.com and handing off to pigskindispatch.com, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines.
1: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at SportsHistoryNetwork.com.
0: Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. And welcome once again to the Pigpen for a special bonus edition, our Football by Number Series. Jersey number 60 is up tonight, and we have our friend Warren Rogan with us to help us uh, find a top 10 greatest number 60s in NFL history. Uh, Warren Rogan, welcome back to the Pigpen. Hey
2: Darren, thanks for having me. Should be a lot of fun. All of these have been fun. I love the conversations, and uh, number sixty is going to
0: be interesting. Yeah, we're definitely in the heart of the big guys in the trenches. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, you know it's it's very difficult. I think to to judge a lot of a lot of these guys because they're offensive linemen, and it's very difficult. To measure what they've done or how what they how valuable they really are when you can't just compile statistics. So a lot of this is from memory, from watching them, from reading about them, and then you know we we do have the one sneaky one who is at the top that um, you know he is the greatest number 60 as far as I'm concerned.
0: Uh, I think we're probably agreeing on the same person too. And he is a sneaky one. You wouldn't expect him to be in there, but he is. No. So, well, let's, uh, I guess let's reveal our, our hall of famers is a good place to start And the pro football hall of fame in Canton tells us there are four hall of famers that wore Jersey number 60 and they are Otto Graham, Bill Willis, Dick Stanfill, and Chuck Bednarek. Uh, Chuck
2: Bednarek, and I actually worked with him once. Did many, you really? On an infomercial. <laughs> okay, so I'm,
0: so I'm messing his name up. How, how do you say that
2: again? Chuck Bednarek.
0: Bednarik. okay. I was making one of the uh, consonants silent. Okay, we'll have to get that correct well is that a good place you want to start or you did you want to kick your top 10 off and we'll compare top 10s and go from there
2: um we we could let's go uh 10 i'll do a countdown for you from number 10 i like doing it that way okay um, because i know that uh when you get started 10 that's where most of the disagreement will be um my number 10 and and we could you know You want to stop it right there? You want to continue? Go, let me do my 10. You do your 10. However, you want to do it, you just stop me. My number 10, Max Unger. Okay. My my number nine, got to be a giant in there, Sean O'Hara. And he's a really interesting story. Number eight, Dennis Hara. Number seven, Roy Winston. Number six, a Hall of Famer, Dick Stanfill. Number five, Al Bubba Baker. Number four, Larry Grantham. Number three, Bill Willis. Number two, Chuck Bednarik. And you could probably make a pretty good argument to get him to number one, but I think it'd be really difficult to say... Otto Graham is not the greatest number 60 of all time. Uh, I agree with you. I'll tell you what, we're real close.
0: I I have two that are different from you, and they're almost in the exact same order. That's really scary. But I I had uh, Sean O'Hara at 10, I put Chris Samuels in at number nine. Max Unger, I I left off. I told you I had 12 uh, before we started here. Max Unger, I left left off there, and I was heartbroken about it here. I had uh, Tommy Nobus as a seventh, uh, Dennis Hara, Bubba Baker, Larry Grantham, Dick Stanfeld, Bill Willis, Chuck Bednarik, and Otto Graham. So very close, uh, just one or two off.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Really close. I mean, I, it's very difficult. I think when you look at the careers of obviously Graham, obviously Bednarik and Bill Willis to, to say that they aren't the three top number sixties of all time. And I'm sure um, a lot of football fans out there have probably never heard of Bill Willis. Um, And, and, Largely because most of his time was in the AAFC. And it's a really interesting, um, uh, I don't know if you call it a conundrum um, discussion issue, but I find it really interesting that, um, you know, you go to baseball and now um, players who, who, compiled statistics in the Negro Leagues, their their careers, those numbers are considered major league numbers. The Federal League, those numbers are considered major league numbers, and they count towards their major league careers. For whatever reason, the NFL has not accepted the numbers compiled in the All-America Football Conference as official numbers. So a guy like Bill Willis, who played most of his career with the Browns in the AAFC, a lot of what he did uh, is not considered towards his overall record, but he certainly uh, was an outstanding lineman for the Cleveland Browns. Um, so it's uh, some of that stuff's really
0: interesting. Yeah, it definitely is. And you know I, I always found that odd too. You know the AFL, you know, I, they ended up using their statistics because they merged. AFC, wow. I guess you could call it a merge or a takeover and kicking a bunch of teams out, but similar to a merge but they don't don't let those
2: uh, well, records you know, in. You, so you, you had the Browns Mm-hmm. And you had the Niners. Those were the two big teams that came into the NFL from the AAFC. The Colts did as well, but a year later, so it's more like the franchise name came in. But I think it's really insulting to the Cleveland Browns that their numbers didn't transfer in as you know and a lot of that was because they felt that the AAFC was so inferior yet the Browns when they came in they won the NFL championship so there was nothing nothing inferior about the Cleveland Browns of the AAFC and really the only team that uh could contend with the Browns during those AAFC years were the Niners and their numbers were not absorbed either. And I just, I just find that um, it, it shouldn't be that way. Those numbers should, should uh, transfer in, but they don't. And you know, that's, that's our well, conversation.
0: I'm wondering, if maybe there's a, uh... In the near future, there'll be a change because I was at the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, two weeks ago and something that uh, I go probably every couple of years. There's a lot of changes there since I was there. They've done a lot of uh, adding on and remodeling. But right when you walk in, there is a display of the USFL players and they're giving some recognition to them. Uh, There's uh, some other displays of uh, recognizing some other leagues where they're, you know, they're talking about players that played in that league, which I don't remember if I ever saw that before at the pro football hall of fame. Usually it was, you know, AFL and NFL only. And uh, I found that to be kind of interesting.
2: Yeah. I don't think they'll ever absorb the USFL numbers if they do and they don't absorb the AAFC. I mean, that would be the ultimate, ultimate slap in the face.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I, I think their big conundrum is, uh, but you know what do you do then with the CFL and uh, some of the other leagues that you know the well, XFLs and
2: Yeah, those, those are those are the CFL is an entity unto itself, um, very little crossover. I think they used to have some exhibition games, the XFL, you know, those are, I hate to say minor league players, but those are minor league players, CFL players. There are definitely some great CFL players that have gone back and forth. Warren moon, Doug Flutie, uh, uh um, Jack Kemp, you know, there've been some great players who mm-hmm. go back and forth, but, um, you had a full team. you had two full teams go from the AAFC to the NFL. And you go, you know, you you look at the NHL where you had the four teams from the World Hockey Association, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Hartford, and Quebec, their numbers were absorbed. And the ABA, when they went over, you had the Nets, the Pacers, the Nuggets and the Spurs, their numbers uh, uh, all went over. So you would think that somehow, some way, the NFL will ultimately right a wrong. And if they do, our number one on the number 60 list, Otto Graham, his numbers will be even greater.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Now, it's it's interesting. I mean, I guess maybe that's where we started discussions with uh, Otto Graham. But it's interesting uh, his number was 60 in the AAFC. Um, and he, because of uh, the AAFC coming in, they didn't really have any number restrictions. The NFL adopted a rule, I believe, in the early 50s, 51 or 52, where they were sort of. Where they were up to like two years ago in the NFL, where quarterbacks can only wear a certain number, and receivers. Now that's since expired with this new rule this year. Where sort of all bets are off except for interior linemen. But um, that that's where that came from, and that's why Otto Graham had to change his number from sixty to um,
2: uh, fourteen.
0: 14. Okay.
2: Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is he wore 60 for 10 years. So, his first couple of years in the NFL, he actually did wear number 60. And um, ultimately, you know, they had, they assigned numbers, you know, interior linemen had to be in the, you know, the 50s or the 60s. So, they made him switch. So, while most of his career was wearing number 60, he did wear number 14 and it's the number 14 that the Browns did retire, but he wore 60 for, you know, a number of seasons. And he was, he was about as good as it, you know, he wore 60 for six years, 14 for four years. And he was about as good as it gets during his playing days. Yeah, so so what was it if,
0: if uh, 60 was his number for his first 6 years. He had five championships in those 6 years wearing number 60.
2: Yeah, so he won he won the AAFC. Every year there was an AAFC. There's four. So 46, 47, 48 and 49. And then he went over to the NFL. His first year in the NFL he led the Browns to the NFL championship. So he won the NFL championship in 50. I believe they went back in 51 and they lost. Right. Um, and he won the NFL championship again in 54 and in 55. So I think he won seven times.
0: Right. In, but I'm saying with the number 60, those six years. Oh, well,
2: yeah, yeah. He six had five,
0: five championships, I believe. Yeah, and and he played in another championship game that he, he lost.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, so. The so I mean, 60
0: was pretty good to him. <laughs>
2: yeah, he won five in a row, 46, 47, 48, 49, and 50, and went to a sixth but didn't win. Um, just, a, you know, he was he was a great ball player, great great quarterback, uh, you know, won the AAFC MVP twice, won the NFL MVP three times. Um, when you take a look at His overall career record, he won 57 games and lost 13. In the AAFC, you know, Paul Brown put together one of the most dominant, one of the most phenomenal football teams of all time. And, you know, when we talk about the undefeated teams, which were the Miami Dolphins, their perfect year, 72, when they went 17-0, including the Super Bowl and, you know, the – the, uh, the Patriots, who went 16 and 0, then lost the Super Bowl to the Giants. Um, the Browns were an undefeated team, but they don't get the recognition as an undefeated team. They went 14 and 0 in 1948. So his, his four years in the AAFC 12 and 2, 12 1 and 1, 14 and 0, Nine, one, and two. So over four years, he lost four games. It's it's wow. un, unheard of. Um, so yeah, in 1950, the Browns' first year in the NFL, they went ten and two. Uh, they beat the Giants in the divisional round of the playoffs, and they beat the Los Angeles Rams. In the NFL championship game, 30 to 28. And, you know, that was just the sweetest of victories for the fans of Cleveland because not only were they able to prove that their Browns, their team in Cleveland, was the best in football, they also beat the team that left Cleveland and went to Los Angeles, the Rams. Um, so it was, uh, it was, you know, a great win uh, sort of uh, gave legitimacy to to the AAFC. Um, You know, he was uh, his overall playoff record, nine and three, seven championships every year of his 10 year career. He was in the playoffs and. Um, statistically completed f- over 55% of his passes through a bunch of interceptions, but he threw a lot more touchdowns. He, uh, 174 touchdowns, you know, he, the Browns is, they, they, you know, they had Jib Brown, obviously. So they had a heck of a running game, but they weren't afraid to air it out And he threw 174 touchdowns, 135 interceptions, but he was really good with the ball in his hands too, running it. And he scored 44 touchdowns. Um, he was just an overall great player. And, you know, he was uh, a great college ball player too. He played at Northwestern He was the big 10 player of the year in 43 and, um, Yeah, I don't know the full story as to why he went to the Browns instead of the Lions who drafted him. And, you know, the Lions weren't a bad football team at that time. They're not like the Lions of today. They drafted him fourth overall, but Paul Brown was able – to offer him a little more money is $7,500. So maybe that's what it came down to. And, um, you know, there might've been a little something to do with world war two. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm a, a little fuzzy on that, but he, like I said, was a great, great athlete. Um, so good. In fact, he played professional basketball as well. A lot of people don't know that. Hmm. Um. Before there was an NBA, there was what was called the, um, the BAA, which was the Basketball Association of America. And there was what was called the NBL, the National Basketball League. And they merged to form the NBA. And when they, right before they did that, Otto Graham played for the Rochester Royals. And he came off the bench and averaged 5.2 points per game. And um, he helped them win a championship. Imagine that. This guy just had this championship pedigree. He helped them win a championship over Sheboygan. Um, So he was just a phenomenal athlete. I think the greatest ever to wear number 60 in professional football Uh, He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1965. He also went on to coach. He coached the Redskins for a couple of years uh, without a whole lot of success. I think it was three years, and um, he was like 17 and 22 with a few ties. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's all
0: really amazing stuff. He is such an interesting player. And he uh, played defense, too, uh, in his first three years with the Browns, had seven interceptions. He played defensive back. I mean, I mean how, how can you say anything bad about that? A guy that's a, a star quarterback that uh, also has some picks. So that's some great things. A, a couple of things I just wanted to add. I, you know, we have a lot of fans for Cleveland here in Erie. Um, they're less than hundred miles away. And I always tell people that, you know, they were upset when the Browns left. And I can understand that when they left in the late nineties and when LeBron James left the first time, and I understand why they were upset there, but I said, how about, when the Cleveland Rams win a championship and they leave and go to LA. I mean, you left and when you won a championship, that's yeah. really got to put a knife in your heart. When that happens, i yeah.
2: 45. They win the championship. And within a month or two, they were out in LA crazy. That, that'd be like
0: the Buccaneers leaving uh, Tampa Bay right now. That's you know, just nuts. Yeah. So that, those people would go crazy. Yeah.
2: So, and that was the second I think the second time a team left Cleveland, um, that was in the NFL. So I think Cleveland has had three times uh, teams have left. There was a team prior to the Rams, and the Rams left. Then the Browns left, and now you have the Browns again. So. So
0: yeah, you had the Cleveland Indians, uh, the Cleveland Bulldogs when they, they took over. The Indians took over the Canton team at one point. And, and then yeah. went back to Canton. Yeah, it was crazy, yeah. crazy back then. But I think uh, we, we both agreed on that, that Otto Graham is definitely the number one uh, player wearing 60 in NFL history. That's for sure.
2: No doubt. And what, what a stud. And I think um, a close number two, really a close number two is um, Chuck Bednarik. Um, he played for the Eagles. Um he had a an interesting nickname and a lot of people think that that nickname um had to do with how hard he hit on the field and it actually didn't but it was a nickname that was absorbed because of that as well his nickname was Concrete Charlie and it was because of the fact that he was a concrete salesman during the off season remember the back in the day Uh, a a salary for most of these guys, 99.9% of them couldn't sustain them for, for their lifestyle, you know, uh, uh, to make a full year's living. So a lot of these guys had to work during the off season and Chuck Bednarik was a concrete salesman. So, uh, but he was, he was one heck of a uh, of a player um, made one of the most famous tackles in the history of football in 1960 against the Giants. He hit Frank Gifford so hard, some people actually thought Gifford was dead. He just lay motionless on the field, um, and as you would expect, the hit caused a fumble. Um, Gifford. Actually, did not play football for another eighteen months after that hit. He basically broke him in half. Wow! And the amazing thing about the hit is, Gifford didn't hold a grudge against Bednarik. He said it was a clean hit. It was a cleanest of hits. He just got me good, and he knocked him out for uh, eighteen months. Hmm. So, um, but uh, Chuck was part of two NFL championship teams with the Eagles, 1949 and 1960, eight times he was a Pro Bowl player, 10 times he was named to uh, the NFL all, uh, first team All-Pro, he was named to the NFL's. 50th all-time anniversary team, their 75th anniversary team, their 100th anniversary team. Guy was just great. 1950s all-decade team. Um, He was inducted into the uh, uh, Football Hall of Fame in 1967. Over the course of his career, he had 20 interceptions, 21 fumble recoveries, In 14 years, he only missed three games, and um, he was a linebacker. He was a center. His number 60 is retired by the Eagles, and, um, you know, he was a really smart dude, too. He was the first overall pick in the draft out of the University of Pennsylvania. Mm, Let's go Quakers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. the Quakers had a number one pick in the draft. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was a smart guy. He was a good guy. He played the game tough. He played the game the right way. I had an opportunity at one time, many years ago to work with him on a, uh, on an infomercial. This was way back in uh, uh, the early 1990s. Um and um, you know he was he was a good guy. An interesting fact about him too was he was a staff sergeant in the Air Force from 1942 mm-hmm. to 1946, and he flew 30 combat missions in World War II before he started his NFL career.
0: So, so he wasn't at all a youngster when he came to the NFL. I did not know no, that. No, he
2: wasn't. Like I said, he, he played 14 years. If he added it all up, he could have probably had about a uh, 17, 18-year career.
0: Wow, amazing. <laughs> so, okay, now I have to ask the question that everybody's probably thinking. You have a guy with a nickname of Concrete Charlie doing an infomercial. Was it like some kind of a cleaner
2: or something that would clean concrete? Or? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm racking my brains out. I cannot remember the product. It was so long ago. I, 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 I knew you were going to ask me this, <laughs> and it was so long ago. I can't remember the product. I can't remember. Well, well, if you remember it, you know.
0: But after the show, we'll we'll post it in the show notes uh, to give everybody the answer because that's I, uh, that's that's going to eat away at me now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look it up. You know, uh, I'll do a little search. Um, but I I just I can't. I, I was I was saying, you know, I if I bring this up, he's going to ask me, <laughs> and I I can't I can't remember what it was, but I can remember doing the uh the infomercial i that's getting scary
0: that, that means you've been on uh, talking with me quite a bit so you know how my brain thinks and you, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's poisoned it's going to go tilted somewhere
2: yeah, yeah yeah
0: okay well we definitely agree on a uh, you know, bed being the second player on our, our roster i think we both agreed on the third one with bill willis
2: Yeah, he was a defensive lineman also for those great Browns teams. Um, He wore number 30 his first six years and number 60 his last two. So he he did play some offensive line for the Browns as well. So basically, um, uh, Otto Graham needed to give up his number 60 (laughs) for uh, Bill Willis. Um, He played on those – aafc championship teams of 46 47 48 and 49 and he played for the browns when they won their championship in 1950 in the nfl um he was three times named to the uh first he was first team all pro three times in the aafc uh, three times he played uh, Pro Bowl in the Pro Bowl in the NFL. He four times he was uh, first team All Pro in the NFL, All Decades Team of the 1940s. He is in the Browns Ring of Honor. Um, you know uh, we know why he played in the AAFC as opposed to Otto Graham. Like I said, Otto Graham you know, a little fuzzy. There was a money thing. Paul Brown offered him $7,500. I don't know what the Lions offered him. I'm sure back in the day, in the in the mid-40s, $7,500 was a real chunk of money. And, you know, the World War II was going on at the time as well. So I'm not sure how that played in Otto Graham's decision to go to the Browns. But really, Bill Willis, who was just you know, he was a great college football player for Ohio State. He was not drafted because of the color of his skin. The AAFC didn't care. They wanted to establish a great football league, and they did because they opened their doors to all races, all creeds, whatever it was. If you could play the game, you were welcome to play in the AAFC. So that's why he ended up in the AAFC playing for the Browns. And again, I think we've discussed this before. Paul Brown was just smarter than everybody else at the time. And he put together a heck of a team. So um, when Willis played at Ohio state, he actually wore two different numbers. He wore number zero and he wore number 99, both ends of the spectrum and both (laughs) numbers are retired. Ohio state (laughs) retired. Both numbers is number zero. And, um, his number 99 and uh, voted into the hall of fame in 1977 and is considered to be one of the most dominant defensive players, particularly of his time. So, so the
0: Ohio state players last year, when college went back to allowing number zero, they were kind of disappointed. They couldn't grab it. Then I'll bet. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But you know, I, something interesting. And it's something we talked about earlier in the segment. Now, Willis was the Hall of Fame all-1940s team. He didn't play in the NFL in the 1940s. He played yeah, in the
2: AFC. Say, he, he's considered the NFL all-decade team of the 1940s. So you saw that as well. Yeah, and he didn't play and, in the NFL then. And he didn't play in the NFL. His stats from the AAFC don't count, but he was recognized by being named to their all Decades team. So you know, it's, it's a little fuzzy there. Um, And I don't know how they came up with that. Why it's good in one area and not in the other. The the only
0: thing I can think of is if they count 1950 as being the forties, you know, like if you were starting at, you know, 1901 to 1910 they didn't have an NFL I understand but you would count 1910 that's the only thing I can reasoning I can even think of I, maybe I they know, would do
2: that that wouldn't make sense to me because you would go 40 to 49 would be the 40s and and does one year qualify you for an all decades team it's uh, it's I don't know um, the NFL's formula for that
0: I, I think I'm just gonna go he was that good even though he didn't play in the league he was exactly. one of the best players exactly. <laughs> and that, that's probably uh anybody could stand on that ground. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What what a great player he was too. And uh, Paul Brown, a genius, you know, just putting together two two players with number 60 that played on the same team that are making this list in the top three. Yeah. He was
2: exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say my number four, I can't, I don't recall. This is where we diverge a little. I had Larry Grantham.
0: And and I had Stanfield, but I think you, we just reversed
2: them if I remember correctly. Grantham was an absolutely terrific linebacker. He was as tough as can be to run the ball against. He played for the New York Titans, who later became the New York Jets. So the Titans changed their nickname to the Jets. And one of the real, um, he was, well, like I said, as tough as nails, uh, was an AFL all-star five times, ended up in the NFL with the Jets, helped them to the Super Bowl three victory over the Baltimore Colts, the famous victory, and ironically, It was the Colts who drafted him to play in the NFL, but he decided to go to the AFL, to the Jets. Um, Five times, he was first team all AFL. He is in the Jets ring of honor, uh, played his college ball at Ole Miss. And um, he is one of only 20 players to have played All 10 years of the AFL's
0: existence. So probably Mr. Bland has got to be one of the other ones.
2: Yeah, uh, I think he might be. I believe um, Billy Cannon might have been. Mm -hmm. Well, there there are several of them, 20, but Larry Grantham, definitely one of them.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. You know, I just had... uh, Two weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, at the PFRA convention at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they had a panel of guests on there. And you're talking about Super Bowl three. They had uh, Bob Vogel, who was an offensive tackle for the Colts uh, in the late '60s, early '70s, um, and he he was asked that question about. You know, hey, did you guys go into Super Bowl three like super cocky or what it was he goes, He goes, you know what? He goes, it was probably our best week of practice we had in like five seasons. That week before the Super Bowl, they were focused. They went in there, and he said the Jets just came in and just you know beat them to to every dime. You know, just uh, knocked them off the ball and played their butts off and, and beat them. So I found that was kind of interesting that uh, you know the opponent of the Jets would say that.
2: Joe Namath. There's a I'm not going to tell the story because I know I'm going to get the facts wrong, but Joe Namath has anybody's got to look it up. He's got such great stories about the week leading up to the Super Bowl, including the hotel he stayed in and including. I believe there might have been a part of the game. Where he didn't play and someone was asking him about questions about that and they're showing video of him and he's going, I don't remember those plays. I think it might have been the Super Bowl. And sure enough, for whatever reason, that part of the Super Bowl, the film was lost and somehow this was put in there and it actually never happened like the backup quarterback or something was in the game something crazy like that oh, so really? huh. uh, you got to go back and well let's just see something i'm i'm going to i'm going to go to super bowl 3 statistics and let's see if there was another quarterback that played at all for for the jets that day sorry to diverge and
0: no no please back. we, we got to get this straightened out here
2: Let's see. Here's the box scores coming up. Yeah. Babe Perilli was in the game. So Babe Perilli actually was in the game that day as a quarterback for the Jets. So I don't know. I can't recall if that's part of the story, but um, there's something about that. They were asking Namath about some plays and they're saying, but it's you. And he's goes, no, man, I don't remember that at all. Uh, (laughs) Oh, got to find that story someplace good stuff
0: yeah it sounds like it I, i've never heard that one before that yeah. is interesting okay uh so i, I mean we both have Larry grantham on the list just a reverse order uh, did you have stanfold number five then
2: i know actually i moved even though he's in the hall of fame i got him dropped one more spot i have him down at six my number five is bubba baker al okay. bubba And I think he is a a terribly overlooked superstar. He played um, 13 years in the NFL from 1978 to 1990. He played for the Lions, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Browns, and the Vikings. He had, in 1978, the NFL still didn't record sacks as an official statistic. And that year he had 23 sacks,
0: Hmm.
2: um, including five against Tampa in one game. He had for his career 65 and a half official sacks, and that includes 13 in 1983. That was his, I think, his career high outside of the 23 uh, for the Rams in '83. Three times, he was a uh, pro bowler, all pro in 78. The same year, he won rookie of the year, and that's the year he had 23 sacks. So in his first four years, where they didn't count everything official, it wasn't an official statistic, in his first four years, He had 67 sacks. I mean, just he was a force, an absolute force. And when I was looking back at everything, it got me to wondering, you know, is he an overlooked guy for the Hall of Fame?
0: Yeah, I, I think he is. I mean, if you're what you're telling me if he had 63 and some odd sacks in his first four years it didn't Count and you know 65 and a half, he had, you know, 130 some sacks in his uh his career. That's that's up
2: there with the the big guys. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to look up his his overall stats right now and it's it's um it's pretty impressive. Let's see. Let's go to Bubba Baker. And you take a look. They didn't start counting sacks until 1982. And from 1982 to 1990, he had 65 and a half sacks, but they say unofficially between 78, 79, 80 and 81, he had 67 sacks. So that's, that's what uh, you know. 132 sacks over the course of his 13-year career. Four interceptions. You know, eight fumble recoveries. He he played in seven playoff games over the course of his career. Never won, never won a Super Bowl. Didn't play for the the greatest of teams. But you know, he registered two sacks. He he uh, when he played for the Browns and. 1987 he had a sack in each of their games um i think he he actually could be a um uh uh an overlooked player and i wonder if he is actually in the uh uh pfra's um very good hall of very good
0: i think he is if i'm not mistaken i think he is um but just just that sack total Okay, so we're right around 132, 133. Lawrence Taylor is, t- is tied for 14th in career sacks at 132 and a half. That shows you the caliber of sacks that uh, the man he, had.
2: Not all of his sacks were were, were counted right. either. I That's
0: true. That's true.
2: For this year or two, it was not a uh, an official stat either. And, and just,
0: just for the record, Bruce Smith leads the way with 200 sacks, Reggie White,
2: 198. So... Those
0: are some uh, some big numbers.
2: No doubt. No doubt. So I had, uh, I had Bubba, you know, a, a pretty cool story about him. He appeared on Shark Tank in 2013 with his daughter. He came up with a product, and it apparently did very well. I don't know if it's still out there. It's called Bubba's Boneless Ribs. I remember that. Point, product that allows you to remove the bones from a fully intact slab of ribs so you can eat the ribs with a fork and a knife
0: yeah I, I remember that episode being on there because i was gonna try to find that product i think that would uh you'd be an instant millionaire with something like that because that's uh one of the most painful parts is trying to get the, the meat off those bones
2: <laughs> yeah um you know i'm looking at uh the hall of very good and i don't see them in there Hmm. Really interesting.
0: Well, we may have to nominate him this year. <laughs> yeah.
2: maybe you and I should do it together.
0: Yeah, we should we should. He definitely deserves to be recognized somehow because that's uh he was a great player.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Definitely so should be a candidate. Like have- Where did you have him on your list? I end up having him at six. Okay, my number six is Dick Stanfield. So our top so- six are the same with just uh uh, four, five, and six—a little, um, a little uh, skewed—but no, you can I, yeah. I have no problem with
0: the order you put them in. That's—I right? mean, yeah. it's it's a horse a piece there because they're all so good.
2: So Stanfield was a guard for the Lions in Washington. Um, he wore sixty-three with the Lions and number sixty with uh, uh, the, the Redskins. Oh, am I allowed to say that the Washington football team? Excuse me. <laughs> um, five times he was in the Pro Bowl, five times he was first-team All-Pro. We said this earlier, the Lions were actually a really good football team when Stanfield played. In fact, he helped them win two NFL championships in 1952 and 1953. Back-to-back NFL championships for the Detroit Lions. Boom. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Figure, Figure that out. Yes, once upon a time. The Lions were really good.
0: okay, be uh, be, be careful because if our friend Arnie Chapman's listening to this, he may his head <laughs> might just explode here, you know? <laughs> you don't wanna get him too excited here.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see how they do this year with a certain quarterback under center. Uh, but anyway,, um, yeah, they were really good, and he was um, uh, um, just a great offensive lineman helped them to two NFL championships. He was voted to the 1950s All-Decade Team. Um, he, he, he is uh, in the Hall of Fame um, 2016. And, you know, he retired early. He just had a lot of injuries, including a spinal injury. And at the age of 31, he finally uh, had to hang it up. Interestingly enough, they won – the 52 NFL championship. They won the 53 NFL championship. And that was a the year they beat the great Cleveland Browns a year that they went 10 and two. And he said the greatest honor of his career was being named the team MVP in 1953. Hmm. So he was really a, uh, uh, all for the team, a team player again, very difficult, to talk about stats for an offensive lineman. But I will say this. Um, he did coach a tiny bit as a head coach with the with the Saints when he replaced Mike Dicka after after Dicka's brief stint with the Saints. Um, he coached a lot for Dicka. He coached those Bears teams, those great Bear teams that that wound up winning the Super Bowl in '85. And Dick uh, said that, without question, Dick Stanfield was the greatest offensive line coach he had ever worked with. Hmm. Pretty high praise. Pretty high yeah. praise.
0: Yes, it certainly is with some of the great linemen that uh, he had on his teams that both he played with and coached. So, very high praise indeed. Yeah, I the reason I had Stanfield so high, I um, mean, just looking at, you know, five Pro Bowls, five times all Pro, Two two NFL championships the the all nineteen uh, fifties Hall of Fame team you know just I, I, that that was sort of the I was enamored with those numbers and that's sort of why I and I was on a roll with the Hall of Famers and I said okay they got to be the top four and they were all so yeah. good
2: <laughs> yeah I just think that some I, it's the Bubba Baker story is a very interesting story to me I you know as we sit here and, and do this episode of of Pigskin Dispatch. I, I, I'm actually now more uh, intrigued by Bubba's story as to why he's not in the Hall of Fame and at worst, not in the Hall of Very Good. It's, you know, he was a sack machine. His numbers are
0: it sounds like a future episode of a Sports Forgotten Heroes brewing here. It
2: could be. It could be. i, I got to take a look at that. It's very interesting to me.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. I, I hope you do, do that. I think that would be a great, great episode.
2: I might have to look at that.
0: Yeah, okay. Now, um. so who did you have at seventh? I I missed. That's the only one I missed writing I down. I Roy
2: Winston.
0: Winston. Okay, there's, that's somebody else I did not have.
2: Yeah, Winston played for 15 years, played linebacker for the Vikings all 15 of those years, uh, 12 interceptions, 14 fumbles. He played from 62 through 76. So he helped the Vikings win their only championship they've ever won. And people are like the Vikings won a championship. Yes. They actually were the NFL champions in 1969. Um, this is when the NFL champion played the AFL champion. And, um, he played in four Super Bowls. He played in Super Bowl Four, Super Bowl Eight, Super Bowl Nine, Super Bowl Eleven. The Vikings were a really good team back then, and Winston was one of their leaders. And um, again, he was a, he was as tough as can be, a heck of a tackler, and in fact. Um, his tackle on Larry Zonka in 1972 is considered to be one of the most devastating tackles of all time. And like Gifford did with Bednarik, Zonka did with Winston, um, saying that the hit that Winston put on him was legal. And I don't know if the word... Admired is correct, but respected Winston so much and appreciated Winston so much that when Larry Zanka was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he invited Winston to the ceremony. Really? Huh.
0: That is something.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So who'd you have at seven?
0: At seven, I had... uh... Dennis Herrera, who I know you had down the list a little bit.
2: Yeah, I have him at eight.
0: And I so I think the I think the two different uh, folks that we had is I had Chris Samuels and Tommy Nobus, and yours was Unger and Winston.
2: And Winston.
0: Yeah, yeah, just. But all three so, yeah. players though.
2: Yeah, so my number eight is Dennis Herrera, um, played guard for the Rams for all those years, 13 years, uh, six times in the Pro Bowl, first team All-Pro 1986, what made the Rams 40th anniversary team, helped the Rams win the NFC West six times. Uh, Again, we're getting down into the weeds here. I mean, there's definitely some really good players that people could say we left off or you and I differ on. You have Chris Samuel, uh, Tommy Nobis, um, you know, uh, DeBricka Shaw Ferguson was a heck of a ball player. Um, Brad Benson was a, a really good guard for, for, for 10 years. You know, Otis Sistrunk was, was a heck of a ball player so um dan alexander so you know this is where we get in into the weeds but i remember dennis hara and he was he was a fixture on that rams line
0: yeah i i thought he was a great player i mean actually i started uh he was up near the top, like right after the Hall of Famers at first until I started getting into, you know, some of the more studying on, you know, the Bubba Bakers and uh, the Granthams and, and that. So I, I moved him down the list a little bit, but um you know, two players that you said that was heartbreaking not putting on the list was Unger and Brickershaw Ferguson. Because so I said, "But Boy, where do I fit them? I just, I can't. You know, these other players yeah. I think are just, they're all special, but they, I could have picked 12 real easy. And I didn't even uh, consider Winston, which may, you made a very convincing case for. Because he, he, and the reason I didn't choose him is he didn't have the any Pro Bowls that I could find and he didn't have any All Pros, where the other guys all did.
2: For Winston, yeah, um, I just thought you know again a guy who um, had had um, uh, a, a heck of a career was a heck of a linebacker. Played for for the Vikings all those years, and um, you well, know he just he, he was he another one who you would say was was a fixture um and um i don't know i just something about him just said to me this guy deserves to be there but well when well, you made a
0: convincing case and i sat there and i thought about it i said okay why would this guy not make the pro bowl and then i'm sitting here looking at the era he's playing the era he's playing in and the linebackers are playing in his division uh you know when you have bacchus and nichskies and you know, all the others in that black and blue division all right, there's a, a couple of good reasons why maybe you don't make it. I know he was a left uh, linebacker, but, you know, there, that's just uh, two other teams that he played a lot against. So that's there was a lot of great linebackers in that era throughout the NFL, uh, even though there was less teams in. But, um, I, you know, he's just one of those guys that's overlooked, and I overlooked him. But I, I'm glad you uh, talked about him, and you, you made a very convincing case for him.
2: All right, my number nine – I can't do a list without a giant on
0: it. But yeah, I was surprised him him too. I, I oh. did. I did. I was surprised you had him at nine. I thought maybe he'd be like five or something.
2: Well, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I tried. I tried to make a case for him to be number one, but um, <laughs> I just found these couple of guys that I thought uh, deserved deserved to be a little bit higher. Um, you know, he was an anchor on an offensive line that won a Super Bowl, the, the Giants Super Bowl in two thousand seven. And um yeah, three time pro bowler, he was just a, a, a solid, solid ball player. Again, we're talking about guys who whose numbers are are just so hard, so hard to um to judge because offensive linemen, I I, I don't know how the NFL can ever put in a statistic that can help you judge the effectiveness of an offensive lineman. I don't know if there if there is a way to do it, but I think one of the great stories about Sean O'Hara is how overlooked he is um, in so many different facets of his career, um, beginning with playing at Rutgers where he, he was a walk-on. He wasn't even recruited out of high school and he wound up playing all four years for Rutgers. And then he wasn't drafted and he was an undrafted free agent signed by the Browns. And midway through his rookie year of 2000, he breaks into the Browns lineup and he st- plays in eight games and starts four of them. In 2001, played all 16 games, started four of them, and the Browns saw something in him. And in 2002, he became a regular full-time starter. So in 2002, played in 14 games, started, uh, played in all 16 games, started, started all 16 games. 2003, started all 14 games that, that he appeared in. 2004, his first year, he signed as a free agent with the Giants, played in 12 games, started 12 games. 2005, played in 16, started 16. 2006, played in 15, started 15. And in 2007, 2008, and 2009, he started every single game, played every single game of the season. 2010 was his final year. Uh, got hurt, and after six games, hung up his uh, hung up his cleats. Uh, three times he was a pro bowler. Actually uh, caught – caught uh, he was a target one time in his career for a, a touchdown. Caught the pass, scored the touchdown. Again, just a solid, solid ball player. And I think worthy of being um, named one of the, you know, top ten of all time wearing number 60. And he wore number 60 every year of his career.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. He, he was a very special player. Um, going back to what you said about you know, th- what they could come up with statistics uh, for offense alignment, I think, I don't know if you ever listened to uh, Serious XM NFL radio. Uh, Pat sure. Kerwin has a yeah. show um, with um, the quarterback Miller that used to play for the Bears. Yeah, and the Steelers. Jim Miller. And uh, but Pat Kerwin has, and I think he does a lot of these uh, chartings himself. He watches a lot of game film, of course, because I don't know where else you can get it from. But he goes by the amount of penalties that they have, like holding calls and false starts that offensive linemen have. And he also has, uh, not again, I don't know how he does it other than charting, is, you know, pressures that the man that he's assigned to block gets on the quarterback and sacks he counts out against them.
2: I've heard that. Um, I think that that should somehow um, they should talk to Pat Kerwin and figure out how to make that an official stat, how many sacks you gave up um, penalties. Like you said, I think that that, um, that would be a, um, a telling, a telling statistic. And you know, how many times you're able to open up a hole somehow for, you know, how many, how many yards rushing through the hole that you opened up. I bet you there's a way to do it um, if somebody really put their mind to it and, and got the NFL to sign off on. I think it'd be a, a terrific way to measure the effectiveness of an offensive lineman.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure with all the uh, the stat uh, people and analysis uh, people that they have working for the NFL and for the other media outlets, so, you know, I'm sure they could come up with something and have some kind of a formula to put in there, almost like a quarterback number, you know? Yeah. Like I said, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, definitely O'Hara uh, makes that list. So now, yep. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying. Now we got to sort of figure out. We have these. Uh, these people that we're different on. So that's sort of where our debate's probably going to come in.
2: Right. And my, my number 10 is one of those guys. I had Max Unger. And when I thought about it, I said, you know what? Max Unger wore 60 every year of his career. And centers just don't get enough credit. The guy was a stud center for a really good Seahawks team. And then a stud center for a really good uh, New Orleans team. Uh, three times Pro Bowl, first team All Pro. Um, he was solid. Uh, wasn't a re- He he really wasn't very highly rated coming out of college. Uh, he played for Oregon, and um, he was drafted in the second round, 49th overall, the, the Seahawks saw something in him, took a chance, and sure enough, it paid off. But again, it's it's just not a, a very easy position to, to judge statistically, but um, outside of an injury in 2010, you know as a as a rookie playing right guard he started all 16 games he got hurt in 2010 but he started all he started 15 games in 2011 all 16 in 2012 started 13 in 2013 again he got hurt so he only played in 6 games in 2014 but his last 4 years his 4 years with the saints all at center out of 64 possible games. He played in 63, starting 63 of those games. So, um, you know, um, he was good. He was really, really good. And the quarterbacks for whom he was, you know, at center for – they would say the same thing. Now, now
0: I agree with you. I mean, Unger's a great player, but this is why I sort of didn't put him on there. And I put somebody like Chris Samuel on that. that's one of the ones that I had different from you. And Chris Samuel ended up having, you know, six Pro Bowls to his name and played on, you know, the, the Washington Redskins, uh, his entire career, nine years uh, with what, with Washington and, he too started every, started every game that he played in 141 starts, 141 games had had a few injury seasons, uh, especially at the end of his career, but he had six seasons where he started all 16 games. And, you know, you know, I, under, I, I agree with you. The centers don't get enough love on, on these lists. Uh, very, very few of them. I think we have some numbers in the, the mid 60s, 63. It's one that comes up. I know we have a few centers that are popping up on the list, uh, but you know this is the this is the blindside guy you know this is the the quarterback's best friend the left tackle and 6 pro bowls in 9 years i thought that was pretty substantial on a team that was yeah you know the the washington redskins of the early 2000s they they were they were good but they had their up and down years but this guy was solid throughout and uh that's one reason i chose him to be on the list
2: well there, there there's you know one of the reasons i didn't Uh, is because they weren't that good a team. Um, I'm a Giants fan, so I (laughs) really didn't like him. Not as a great person, just he was the enemy. Um, But, you know, they weren't that good a team, and despite the fact, that he was a left tackle, was a pro bowler. Um, their offense wasn't that good. I mean, but that could also be a product of the quarterbacks they had at the time. You know, Mark Brunel at the end of his career, Jason Campbell, who, you know, wasn't – was not an all-pro quarterback. So um, those were some of the reasons that I didn't pick uh, Chris Samuels. Um and I thought um, I thought that um, You know they. I think they even had Patrick Ramsey A quarterback They just weren't um, You know Maybe that's not a fair assessment Because of the team he played on But Unger I thought played for better teams That yeah, was a center And Samuels was a left tackle um, And I never You know I never looked at Again, very difficult to tell how many sacks he gave up, but um, played for Washington. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that's that, that's that's pretty tough.
0: But well, I'm sure you probably have the same argument uh, for Tommy Nobis because you didn't have him on your list, right? Correct. That was the other one we had different.
2: Yeah, Tommy I, Nobis, Sam, Tommy Samuels,
0: Nobis. and Nobis were my two that I had different for you. I mean, Nobis. You know, as long as we're talking about, you know, five Pro Bowls, one time as an All Pro, All 1960s Hall of Fame team, um, but played for the Falcons in the late yeah, 60s, you know, early
2: 70s. You know, so he was he was a heck of a ball player too. Um, Twelve interceptions. Ran two back for touchdowns, thirteen fumble recoveries. There is a very strong argument for Tommy Nobis, uh, played middle linebacker for the Falcons. I could put Nobis um, in it number ten. Um, but darn if if offensive linemen just don't get as much credit as they should, or not cre- the recognition, recognition. You're right. You're right. That, that, that they deserve.
0: Yeah, you're, you're right. Okay. So, all right, let's, let's review this here. So your two different ones are that I didn't have are Winston and Unger. Mine are Nobus and Samuels. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and they and all, they have all have compelling cases here. for both.
0: Right. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm willing to call truce here and we go with
2: uh, with 12 on our list. I, I think that's very fair. Um, I think it'd be very difficult to say that Unger and, you know, you could call it a draw between Unger and, uh, and Samuels and you could call it a draw between Winston and Nobis. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree.
0: So I think probably that's the... The, the gentlemanly way to, to settle this year, I think, and uh, yeah. we'll just put put twelve on the list. And hey, it's our list, so we can do what we want with it, we can right?
2: Do whatever we
0: want. <laughs> or we're taking our ball and going home. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, that's I mean that's a great job on there. I mean that was probably one of the the more challenging ones that uh, I've seen this year because there were yeah, some, some great mean, players.
2: It, because a lot of uh, a lot of offensive linemen on there. Um, I, you know, if Otto Graham hadn't wore 60, um, I think it would have been easy to put Chuck Bednarik in number one, but we had, uh, some really, really good, uh, football players on there beginning, beginning with Otto Graham, a guy who, I don't think he, he gets the credit he deserves or the recognition, the recognition that he should, that he should get, I mean, seven NFL, seven championships in 10 years. Hmm. I mean, what a quarterback. That's for what sure.
0: And, you know, and just think about who we're leaving office. And we mentioned him earlier, DeBrickishaw Ferguson, you know, three-time pro bowler DeBrickishaw Ferguson, 10 years in a league never missed a game and started every game, 160 games in 10 years. And, didn't make that list of the top 12. Uh, that's how many good
2: players there are. We're in number six. One huge knock against him. He played for the jets. <laughs> he played for the jets.
0: Uh, uh, that, that wasn't me saying that. So jets fans. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but no, I mean, the guy was a stud player. I mean, you know what? you could, he played what ten years? How, how many years did he play? 10, 10, ten years. Ten years. Started every single game he played in. He, yeah, I mean, you know, um every game on the schedule. <laughs> didn't, every game on the schedule. If there was a game, the Brickashaw Ferguson played in that game. And seven playoff games. <laughs> Without a doubt, a great player. And you know what? If you wanted to, you can make the list 13 and put him on there. That, that's
0: exactly. probably fair enough. We can't, we can't yeah. leave a guy like that off the more yeah. I think about he it. Was,
2: he, he was, without a doubt.
0: When you're an Iron Man running at running offensive running. tackle, that's, uh, that's something special.
2: Yeah. I, again, you know, these guys, I feel it's like there's no – and it really stinks. There's no statistical data that's readily available – to To judge their careers, a lot of this is from memory and from what you read. And yeah, you know, he was he was great at Virginia too. Yeah, he, he definitely was. He, he was, uh, you know, he was the fourth overall pick in the draft. That's that's for and, sure. And
0: lived up to it. Now, I think um, I might have an idea here because. I'm going to be talking to, I have him scheduled, John Turney, who is sort of the founder of the, the pro football, um, pro football journal. And John told me in a conversation we had that he's got, um, stats on for linemen and some, some, uh, defensive linemen and sacks, you know, pre 1982, that he's uh, gone back and looked at uh, scorecards and watched you know, game films and things on. So he's got some interesting numbers, and I'd be interested to see you know, what he turns up and what we can uh, talk to him about. Maybe he's got some uh, answers to some of these uh, linemen questions that we have.
2: Wouldn't it be great to have a job like that where you could just like, yeah, let's get some film out and check it out. Man, what a great job.
0: yeah he sure does you know him and i know chris willis works with him quite a lot who's uh with nfl nfl films uh library uh he's the head of their library so i'm I'm sure he has some good access there with uh with willis helping him there so both good guys i enjoyed talking to them so So, okay so we we have our list of 13 and uh i think it's a pretty good list and i'm kind of proud of that that's uh that's some great players there
2: yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Players. Yep. And, um, uh, again, a lot of fun doing this with you. It's, it's, it's always fun to uncover some of the, uh, the unknowns like, uh, uh, Bubba's barbecue ribs and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Bubba's boneless ribs and, uh, you know, things like that. It's, it's a lot of fun to go back through here and just to talk football, man, this is, this is what it's all about, you know. Um, these podcasts—it's just so much fun to to talk to the guests we have on here, um, to reminisce, and the research to find out different stories and facts and figures and things. You know, I got a uh, an interview coming up about a baseball player by the name of Monty Pearson, and you know, like I've told you before, I like to try and stay season relevant. So I'm in the middle right now of baseball, but starting to play in football as that's not that far around the corner. And actually, um, I I, uh, uh, have some pretty good ones that I'm talking about, but I'm not going to reveal them. But Monty Pearson, I would venture to say That very few people, particularly listening to your podcast right now, because I know very few that listen to my podcast, Sports Forgotten Heroes, would really know much of the story about Monty Pearson, who was a baseball pitcher first for the Cleveland Indians and then for the New York Yankees. And when he was with the Yankees, he appeared in four World Series games as the starting pitcher for the New York Yankees. I'm going to tell you his stats. In 1936, he pitched in one game in the World Series. It was a complete game, and he won that game. In 1937, made one appearance for the New York Yankees in the World Series – he pitched eight and two-thirds innings and won the game. In 1938, again, one start, pitched all nine innings and won the game. And in 1939, made one start, pitched all nine innings and won the game. So his career record in the World Series is four games pitched, He's 4-0, three complete games. His ERA is 1.01, and out of a possible 36 innings, he pitched 35 and two-thirds innings. (laughs) And you remember guys like, you know, Whitey Ford pitched for the Yankees, not at that time, but, um, you know. Yeah, lefty grove. I mean, you had great, great pitchers for the Yankees. Um, Red Ruffing was was their their, their big stud. Marius Russo, um, Spud Chandler. They had great pitchers, but no one remembers Monty Pearson.
0: So 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 is that why is that why he only had one game in his series? Is he like their number three no, or number four because, pitcher? No,
2: because they only they, they would win the series in four or five games. Those were World uh, Series games. His, okay. his his actual records in those four years in nineteen thirty six he was nineteen and seven. In nineteen thirty seven he was nine and three. In 1938 he was 16 and seven and in 1939 he was 12 and five he was one of their top four starters um, but um, he uh was he was he was great he
0: No, was, the re- reason I was asking that because usually you know your ace even you know unless you win it in four but usually you, the ace pitchers on the winning teams will at least have two starts you know if it goes to the game five games or six games they, they well, get uh yeah
2: yeah, back then they still, um, you know, and, and don't forget they also had Lefty Gomez, not Lefty Grove, Lefty Gomez, and um, they were, you know, they would win these series in four games. It wasn't there, you know, they would sweep these series. They, they, they these weren't, um, let's see, and so in those in those four years in 1936, they won the series in six games in 36. That was over the Giants in 37 they won it in five games over the giants in 38 they won it in they swept the cubs and in 39 they swept the reds so they really they didn't um he only had a chance to pitch one game in each series
0: yeah still that's that's unbelievable 35 and a half uh, Thirty-five and two-thirds innings, but possible thirty-six, you know, outs. Mm-hmm. Only missed one out in all of his starts.
2: Yeah, yeah so. Wow,
0: that's that's amazing. Well,
2: that'll be a, that'll be a fun that'll be a fun uh, a fun podcast.
0: And I'll bet you he was miffed when he was taken out for that one out too.
2: Yeah,
0: probably. <laughs> he gave yeah, up pitchers never want to leave the mound.
2: Yeah, he gave up a run. I, I'm going to have to find out why he why he was lifted in that one particular game. Uh,
0: I hope it wasn't like a six to one score or something to it. It was pulled <laughs> uh, uh, sounds like a, a great podcast. I'm, I'll be looking forward to that. And I'm sure the listeners will be too. And yeah. uh, you know, once again, Warren, I want to uh, thank you for your time and the, uh, the knowledge that you, you brought into these uh, Jersey number sixties and some of these great stories uh, that you told, you know, with the, Bubba's uh, boneless ribs. And uh, like you mentioned, uh, and and some of the other ones, those are some, that's some great stuff. And I appreciate you coming on. And um, I think I got to look, I see if you have, we have you on for more. I know we had a conversation about you Jersey 58. I don't know if you heard it with the, uh, I had Dan and Andrew Newman on who are also, uh, they're also giants fans. And this is sort of the gist of the conversation. It was on air and, they were, they were talking, uh, sort of ribbing me at the end. They're like going, Hey, you know, we got, we got 58, but we're, we're giants fans. And, you know, we were trying to get, you know, 10 and 11. We couldn't get it. Uh, Warren Rogan got, it. and we tried 53 and 56. We couldn't cause Warren Rogan had got it. He goes, but well, we did get 89 over him. I said, I said, yeah. I said, and Warren's pissed at you guys. He wanted Bavaro.' <laughs>
2: so. Yeah. he was. Uh, what, uh, what a, what a, uh, uh, great tight end that guy was in uh, turncoat, went to the Eagles. Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> well, well, Warren, I won't take up any more of your time. I appreciate your, your time. I, I know you're down there, uh, hopefully, uh, missing the, this big storm. that's hitting uh, your area of the woods down there, and uh, hopefully it does miss you and you stay safe down there. But we appreciate you coming on uh, once again and enlightening us with this great football knowledge you have.
2: Thank you so much, Darren. My pleasure. I enjoy it. That's all the
0: football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history.
1: This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear, and if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network.
0: Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football, Through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians, you'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network.
1: How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sports history Network.com forward slash podcast again that's sports history Network.com forward slash podcast head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast